Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. On today's episode, I'm joined by Reagan Adel, VP and Head of Marketing for Clio, a legal practice management software. Every time we can make somebody feel more comfortable in their entry, every time we can make somebody feel comfortable as a female and, or a woman and whatever they're going through, that sets a new expectation for somebody else in the organization. That sets a new standard being for that person. And not only are they going to feel more comfortable, but they might reflect that in the process that when they're hiring somebody, they might carry that to another company and reflect that in another organization and, and say, no, I've seen this done differently in an organization that I was part of previously. So it has this huge, huge, like cascading effect. If you handle these situations, right. And you encourage women and these types of processes to happen normally. Reagan shares with us wisdom from her nearly 20 years in the marketing profession. She has successfully grown from individual contributor to executive. She's been a part of multiple scaling and successful companies like Active Network and most recently Clio. She has currently grown the team from 15 to 50 and is a shining example of what a great leader looks like. On today's episode, this is great for anyone that is either aspiring to move into senior leadership or you're currently in senior leadership. Reagan shares with us incredible insights around how she has built high performance teams. We talk about the importance of communication and her ability to move up. She shares with us how she's approached her career to advance and that it wasn't ever really about acquiring a specific title or role, but rather capitalizing on opportunities and seeking out challenges. This is an amazing episode. Reagan is just an incredibly accomplished, confident, driven female leader that has really led the way both in her performance and her ability to create strong, high-performing teams, as well as setting and role modeling as a female executive. Can't wait for y'all to listen to this one. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Reagan. Hi, Margaret. Nice to see you. Oh, it's so good to be with you again. It's been too long since we got to be with one another. Years. What is it? Five years? Six years? Six years. Six years. Unbelievable. Time flies. Yes. And for anyone listening, we got to work together at Active Network, which I'm realizing now in hindsight was just this breeding ground of incredible female leaders. Incredible. And I kind of took it for granted at the time. I didn't really know what I had until I left. And so it's been really great because I got to work closely with you as a marketing leader while I was in sales. I got to work really closely with somebody who just adored you and was my peer in the marketing department. And so I am just so excited to have you on and share a little bit more about you, your background and your experience moving from individual contributor in marketing all the way up now to executive. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. And it's funny, after we initially chatted, I had a quick reflection on active as well. And I think you pointed out 
something that was really important and that really shaped me was that women leaders at active was normal and was not something that I think we thought about a lot and emphasized a lot, which again, I think shapes how you, how you grow and develop and shapes what you think of the world. And I think I'm very blessed to have had that opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll kind of maybe start there because I think what's really been neat is you've mentioned to me that one of the things that's been really important for you in your career has both, it's kind of been this combination of the companies that you choose to work at, but then also the leaders that you choose to work for. And that it's been a very intentional process for you of kind of picking these companies as well as leaders to align yourself with. So I'm, I'm curious for you, what sort of things, you know, have helped you identify companies and people that can really help advance you and your career and your development? Yeah, there's there's probably a multi-pronged answer to this. I think there's been, again, I've been, I've had quite a few female leaders as my bosses. So mm-hmm. I've got to work under some of the people I respect the most in marketing or in business that were female and helped shape what normal looked like for me at a at a really young age. You know, when I was starting out in marketing and one of my most influential marketing leaders, CMOs that I worked for was a female leader that was a, was a mother of two children, was a badass. And she, you know, that again, that became my normal. That became what I looked for in my future. That became, you know, she was encouraging. She was encouraging of, of the team. She was encouraging of females to grow their careers. She didn't see you know, restrictions in front of her. And and I got to, I got to witness that again at a really young age. And so it was very, very influential and helped me understand what good leadership looked like, what I wanted to be and, and some of the traits that I wanted to have when I was in that position, but also how I could support other folks and, and be a part of a community that was so important. So that was one of them. And one of the opportunities that gave me exposure to what good leadership and female leadership look like. But I've also had a couple experiences that have shaped how I think about that as well. So in a more recent example, I interviewed, so I'm at at Clio now. Clio is a a legal practice management software. So we sell software to lawyers globally. And I interviewed when I was on, when I was pregnant and when I was on maternity leave. So that is a unique situation. I don't think often as, as women, we, we put ourselves out there and say, you know, let's do an interview at seven months pregnant and and let's do an interview at three months post baby being born and have that welcoming and open dialogue around what that means and what that means to, to you as somebody that's going to be potentially starting in that organization. So immediately I felt like, if our CEO of Clio, Jack Newton, was willing to interview me and participate in welcoming me in this process, he must be encouraging of women leadership. It must be encouraging of the moments that we go through in our life that are so critical to, to us as a, as a whole person. So those, those little indicators mean a lot to me and, and really help shape the decisions I make as we go through these different um, life stages. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think it's so great about your experiences that, you know, not everyone sadly has maybe even had that yet in their career, but that it puts it out there that it does exist. And therefore it is 
perfectly acceptable to expect that and to look for that mm-hmm. and to seek it because there are, there are great places, there are great leaders, there are great companies that very much, you know, are invested in all of their employees and their backgrounds and creating supportive, inclusive environments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and, and again, I think those little moments, those or big moments, and in my case, that was a big moment for me to recognize, but I think those moments you can look for, and they can be in micro moments. They can be in these big moments where you say, okay, how does somebody, how does this company, how does this person that potentially will be my boss, that is my boss, how do they support me when I go through these moments, these life moments, these career moments that are primarily tied to being a woman? Mm-hmm. So now I think this was your, this was your first, correct? Your first, this is my first and only that? yes. For, okay. job. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that is a major transformation. And I would imagine, you know, obviously being pregnant, that's one state of mind interviewing where mm-hmm. again, yes, I don't think very many, very many women even will put themselves out there when they're pregnant, just because the assumption is like, who's going to hire me. It's true. And and even I'm Canadian and our uh, Canadian maternity leave is as a year. Right. So it's even more, <laughs> frankly, deterrent for folks to interview you if you're not going back to the workforce for a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, if you could take us back to like your headspace, cause you, you interviewed while you were pregnant and then again, you know, postpartum, was it the same company that you were interviewing at? I did. Yes. I was so clear. We continued the conversation through baby being born. (laughs) Got it. Okay. And then, so when you were talking to them kind of three months after the baby was born, I'm just imagining that that's a huge transition. You know, your life has dramatically changed all of a sudden, like you're still you, but like now there's this massive responsibility and they require a lot of attention. How did you decide, or I guess like, what were you thinking about to help you kind of still show up, put yourself forward, know your worth? Like, I'd love to maybe hear a little bit more about your mindset as you're going to the interviews kind of with this on the heels of this major transition. Yeah. So, I mean, many people do it. And, you know, I, I think I was privileged in that I didn't go back to work at three weeks after having a baby. So interviewing was something that I felt enabled and comfortable to do and privileged to do. But I think, you know, for me, it it comes down to a few things. One is when I was interviewing, I was, you know, they had known I had a baby. There was a many conversations and and many understandings around what that meant to my schedule, what that meant to my availability, what that meant to how I could participate and um, how long I could participate for. So there was a very open dialogue in which I felt supported through. And I think it took me feeling really comfortable in myself and and the process for me to be able to ask for that, frankly. You know, I, I wish it was natural to think that you can ask for that, but it's not. And it was a new thing for me too. And it was hard to say, look, I've got to be home by this time and do this by this time. Like that, I felt like I was giving a bit of, I wasn't showing up in the way that I would have shown up pre-baby. Mm-hmm. Um but I had to do it because, you know, my priorities had shifted. I felt very comfortable in the process. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was actually very happy in the job that I, w- that I had, that I was on maternity leave for. So I did feel like I had a bit more of that confidence and comfort level going in. But, you know, also I have a supportive, a very supportive husband. And I, 
I mean, that will, that will translate into a lot of the conversation that I have. And a lot of the reason why I feel like I'm in the place that I'm in is because my home is a very supportive environment. My husband is extremely encouraging of my career and my husband is willing to, and welcomes, wants the opportunity to be able to parent and to be able to be there to support me, to be able to do those things. And so that's how I was able to do it. It was a little bit of confidence, a little bit of hope, a little bit of risk and a lot of support. Yes. Well, and I mean, I think what's really neat that you talked about is taking the opportunity to, you know, this is kind of a fresh start and to put out there what your preferred like schedule would look like, um, with this new change in life. And, you know, to your point, like that took confidence. It helped that there was a safety net and -hmm. helped that you had a supportive husband, but like that willingness to put yourself out there. And I think it great example again, of like, obviously it was met very well and probably wasn't as big of a deal as it maybe even felt like in your mind when you were thinking about it. And then it set things off on a really great foundation now with this new part of your life that you had very clear understanding of what would and wouldn't work for your schedule when you would be on, when you wouldn't be on. Um, And if they were comfortable working around that, then the conversation could continue. Yeah. I think the other thing that it helped with is it gave permission to other Mm. people in the organization that watched that process, participated in that process to understand, to set standards for the organization. This is how we, you know, engage in the recruiting process with somebody that, you know, is, is in the stage of their life. This is, you know, if, if you were a, a female leader participating in that process, like, and you didn't have children, or maybe you were going to have your second or third or, you know, whatever child, I think watching that is actually that creates a standard and a norm in an organization that I think is really important to recognize. Every time we can make somebody feel more comfortable in their entry, every time we can make somebody feel comfortable as a female and or a woman and whatever they're going through, that sets a new expectation for somebody else in the organization. That sets a new standard being for that person. And not only are they going to feel more comfortable, but they might reflect that in the process that when they're hiring somebody, they might carry that to another company and reflect that in another organization and and say, no, I've seen this done differently in an organization that I was part of previously. So it has this huge, huge, like cascading effect. If you handle these situations, right. And you encourage women and these types of processes to happen normally. Oh my gosh. You hit on something so big there, which is, again, I think my inkling is that in general, when I talk to women, you know, typically uh, while we have our individual goals, we oftentimes seem to be more fueled by helping others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love this perspective of like, it's bigger than you. And that, you know, what you did was much bigger than you. There were people watching, taking note, and that through your process, you could really kind of help set standards and in encourage others to follow in your footsteps. And so I think that's such a great call out and reminder that sometimes when it can feel very much like it's just us and am I asking for too much? Is this being selfish? Like I I haven't operated like this before. Is that going to be a problem? Like get out of that headspace and look at the bigger picture of what Mm -hmm. the impact could be. And again, even, you know, it's a data point that you can take in is if it is met with resistance, then that's probably good to know too. 
Exactly. Exactly. If that's, if that's not something we're supportive of or encouraging of, then it's probably not where I want to be. And that's okay too. Let's learn that early. Right. And I, there's something I I didn't call out, but I want to make sure to make a point of, because I think the other part of this is, you know, you were coming off of being a VP of marketing at active and Mm -hmm. had an incredible track record of success. You had Mm -hmm. grown and scaled this team. So I think the other important part here is like, you knew your worth. And I, Mm -hmm. that is so important of like, you had this incredible skill set. you knew your value. And so that's the other piece of this is like, you get to certain points in your career where you need to be able to own what you bring to the table and know your full value. So that again, it gives you the, if you need it, the courage Mm -hmm. to make these requirements because you know, Mm -hmm. you're bringing a significant value to this company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can know that it, even if you're, you're starting off in your career, even if you've, you know, you've only had one other job before Mm -hmm. you're bringing something, you know, you can, you can have confidence, you can have that feeling of worth into your next role, because that person is looking for that experience that you've come from in that previous role or that, you know, that life experience that you've had. So it, it translates at every stage. It's not just because I have led marketing teams or because I've been an executive, it actually has zero to do with that. It, it has everything to do with the experience that I'm bringing in whatever the previous role I've had has value in the organization that, that I'm currently talking to or working for. Yeah. Well, I'd love to ask you about that because I think this is another piece that's really interesting is taking credit for the work that you've done, you know, kind of keeping the imposter at bay, if you will, what sort of things have you done to help you really take full ownership, truly claim the successes that you've had so that again, you can look at, I have these experiences. I have this value I bring to the table. And how does that line up with what this, you know, this company or this team is needing? I think I'm going to half, I'm going to half answer that. And I, you know, (laughs) I think what I know how to do is build great teams. So the success and, and the confidence I have stems from the people that I hire. It stems from the work that my team does. So I very, very much have a strong focus on team. And I'm here because of the people that I've gotten to work with and the people that have worked for me. I will never not say that. That is 100% why I think I'm successful. But I will own the fact that I think that I know how to do that. I know how to, mm. I know how to build great teams. I know how to hire people that are better than me in many areas of marketing. And that's the confidence that I can, I can really tie to. And then I can bring that back to my team and say, you know, they're ultimately the ones that do the best work and that enabled this company or team or, or myself to be successful. Yes. I think that's such a great call out and it kind of plays into something else I wanted to ask you about, but this idea of building great teams. And I think it, especially as you move up in your if you choose to move up in your career, so much of your job is setting vision, building high-performing teams, enabling them, moving obstacles out of their way, and less about being the doer yourself or the Mm -hmm. expert yourself. Your expertise shifts. And to your point, I think what's really cool to hear you claim is that you're pretty darn good at building great, high-performing teams. And that is a difficult skill. (laughs) So I think, you know, I think that's such a great call out because what skills that you need and what makes you really great is it changes over time. And you said something too, that I think, again, is just such a 
testament to you of like hiring people that are better at things than you are. That's so, so critical. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to, to trust my leaders and my teams. I mean, mark, marketing as a whole, but it, I think it translates to all, all different functions. It's multifaceted. There's a ton of different skill sets that you can have as a marketer. I, I simply can't know it all at my point, I know how to ask great questions. I know how to understand, you know, the like process and thinking and how you look at results and how you understand performance. I understand that. Of course I do, but I don't necessarily manage our Google AdWords account anymore. I don't know how to do that. I need to find somebody that's fantastic and better at me than doing that. And it can translate to all the, you know, all the disciplines, but, you know, I think by doing that, I can create a ton of trust in my leaders. I can enable them to be successful without relying on me to make the yes or no decisions that can expedite how they make decisions, how they lead themselves. Like it, it just translates into so many things. Yes. Well, and I think you're just describing so many markers of a, of a great leader. And that's such a great call out of some of the things that um, skills that you'd want to invest in developing as you're moving up or you're wanting to demonstrate capability to move up of that ability to, to ask really great questions, to know the metrics that matter, you know, and having benchmarks of what good performance is versus not. So, you know, when to drill in and, and when things are good, coach and I can look, support, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can look somewhere else. Okay. We're, we're good here. Um, but then also like having that trust uh, in your leaders and how powerful to be able to give them the autonomy to make decisions where you're not kind of this bottleneck. And, you know, I think it kind of goes back to, to like, I heard, um, so I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, once you get to the executive level, you, you may as well be working weekends. And I think that's a tragedy, right? Because to me, it's like that, that screams bottleneck. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do is be a bottleneck. It's the last thing. I mean, I don't know if as an executive, I work a lot. Mm -hmm. I do, but I still prioritize a lot of other things in my life. And it's a choice for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it it needs to be a choice and, and and it's a choice because I have, a, again, a lot of great people that are doing great work that are enabling the organization to thrive. And if it's not only on me, it's not only, you know, my decisions. And I think with empowerment and trust, people can do some really amazing things. Mm-hmm. Fear is, I think, one of the biggest team performance crushers that you can have. If people are fearful to make decisions, fearful to make the wrong decision, fearful of what's going to happen if they make the wrong decisions, that can be crippling Mm -hmm. to an organization and, you know, will as a result, make you be having to make all the decisions and, and doing all most of the work and working weekends right? or whatever that means to you. Right. There's a, there's a great parks and rec episode. I don't know if you watched the show, but there's one of the characters on it. His name's Larry. And he's like the, the guy that does all the grunt work. And uh, they do this exercise on him where they use fear as a tactic to get mm-hmm. him to file a bunch of folders. Mm-hmm. And then they use encouragement and support mm-hmm. and positive reinforcement to get him to file. And so at the end of it, he files more folders under the fear tactics, but they're almost all wrong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it, it, it's, your it's a point. perfect example. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely. know, 
You mentioned something that I want to come back to, which is, this is a really important thing that I think doesn't get talked about a lot, which is, yes, you work a lot and you work very hard, but I think there's this misnomer of like, it seems like when you say the word executive, uh, what I found is especially people who are kind of on the front lines or even like frontline managers, like they kind of think that they're somehow this different human being than Mm -hmm. them. And, you know, like you somehow have these like superpowers where it's like, (laughs) oh, well, that person must just be very, you know, like I'm not like them. Mm -hmm. But I would be really curious, you know, because you do prioritize, how do you set things up in your life so that, you know, yes, you invest a lot of energy into your work because, you know, you are part of a scaling, thriving company that's Mm -hmm. growing, Mm -hmm. but also still make sure that you are in a good place and you're prioritizing the things that are important to you in addition to, you know, career being one of them and others. Like, how Mm -hmm. how do you do that? So I... I don't think I do it perfectly, but I've evolved over many years of doing it wrong or Mm -hmm. or feeling like I haven't been prioritizing myself as a person as much as I am an executive. So, you know, I think what I've learned is that you really have to set what your priorities are as, as as a person. So my priorities are my family, first and foremost. My priorities are my work because it it lights me up. It's a passion of, you know, it's, it's exciting for me. And I, you know, I, I care about it. And then the third one is, is my health because my health will enable me to be a good mom, a good wife and a good worker. So those are my priorities. And I try to fit in all of those as much as I can. And I, there's times where I have to prioritize one over the other, but over the course of a week or a month, I don't, you know, they, they all have their place and they all have the, their importance. There's been times where I haven't been able to do that, or I haven't done that. I haven't recognized that I need to do that. And then something else suffers. So if I haven't prioritized my health, my family and my, my work will suffer and it will not make me good at what I do. And so I've had to, I've, I've had to learn that over time and say, no, nope, actually this is prioritizing my family. If I do prioritize my health today. So yeah, it, for me, again, it's just about prioritizing and making sure that there's time and space for all of it. And it's, it's hard sometimes and you compromise sometimes, but you don't compromise all the time. And I haven't nailed it. <laughs> right. I think that, I think if you said you had, you would probably be lying. <laughs> Every, exactly. you know, life exactly. evolves. And, you know, what I think is really great to call out and I love the perspective is, it's looking at the balance over a period of time, not on a day-to-day because day-to-day, you know, you could be more focused on work because there's, you know, deadlines coming up Mm -hmm. that are critical, or you may have a little bit more time where you're maybe on PTO and you, you know, you've got time and space away, Mm -hmm. but it's about over a period of a week or a month looking at, am I balanced over this period of time versus individual days? Yeah. And that works for me. I know actually yeah. a few people that have been very successful at, Hey, look, I, I exercise every day. I do not miss it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I spend this time to this time at work. And then I spend this time to this time with my family or whatever. And it's very um, routine and scheduled and, you know, there's no compromise within that. You know, I believe that's very successful for some people, not successful for me, because I know that there are times that need and want more from me in certain areas. And, and so I've just tried to create that balance. Yeah. Well, and you, again, such a, a, a great call out to make, which is knowing yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and I think understanding 
you, what your definition of balance is, where your priorities lie and how you achieve that. And then not playing the compare game of like, mm-hmm. well, it's one thing to look at yeah. somebody else and be like, maybe I should try that. That's interesting versus like, am I doing it wrong? <laughs> because yeah, I'm not like, doing it that way. Exactly. Those people that wake up at five 30 and do their Peloton right. are amazing. And I, I respect that, but I'm going to, I'm going to probably wake up at six 30 and do my Peloton. And that's, right. that's more reasonable for me. And sometimes I'm going to sleep in and sometimes I'm going to miss it, but I'm going to catch up or I'm going to do it another day, or I'm going to still feel okay about myself. And, and again, that's me because that's what works. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something and I'm, I'm intrigued by, which is you mentioned, you know, that this has been trial and error over mm-hmm. the years and it's become mm-hmm. been this iterative process would love maybe if you would share perhaps one of the, the trials or like when it maybe blew up in your face and you're like, okay, that's not going to work. I have to figure out something else. Okay. Um, well, I don't know if I have like an exact example, but I've had times in my life where I didn't prioritize my health. So there was a, a period of my life where I was traveling every week, every second mm-hmm. week, very, very much on the road. And that made it difficult to have a routine, a routine in really anything. So whether it was an exercise routine or I didn't have a family at the time, so that was a little less, but like friends, you know, there was not even a regularity in, in that. And, you know, ultimately it just got exhausting. And ultimately my body and my, my mental state just kind of catches up with you. And, you know, there wasn't any exact moment where I was like, wow, I'm, I'm overwhelmed or I'm burnt out or, or, or anything like that. It wasn't that it's just this slow decline of knowing that that lack of a focus on, on that piece of me wasn't making me better. Wasn't, I was, I was exhausted. I was tired a lot. So how did I, how did I create that space and time to, to incorporate that sleep and exercise and fresh air? It's, it's not a lot, like it's the basics. I just needed to do it and do it for a while to understand how much better that made me as a person. So, yeah, I I don't think I've ever had, I can't, I can't say I have this very specific example where I've just totally gone off the rails in some area, but it was very much like over time, (laughs) this gradual decline in, in how I felt. Right. Right. And that it was needing to make adjustments. What, what did you end up doing? So, you know, as you started to kind of like get to that point where like, man, I'm just, I'm run down all the time. I need to make some adjustments. What, what sort of things did you tweak? It sounds like sleep was sleep one and of ex- them. Sleep and exercise were the two big ones, right? So when you travel and you're traveling time zones, your sleep mm. gets completely <laughs> messed up and I let it, I am a night owl. I like staying up late. And so whether it was, you know, on central time zone or Eastern time zone or, or Pacific time zone or elsewhere, I was customizing quickly to that new time zone I was on instead of staying on one time zone. So how do I, how do I understand that and say, you know what, I have to stay closer to this one time zone so that when I'm going back and forth all the time, I can adjust, I adjust better than just completely forgetting about time zones, you know, going to whatever the time zone was in that day and then sleeping all weekend because I needed to recover from the two hours of sleep that I just got at that place that I was traveling. So, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's anything mind, mind bending in that, but yeah. No, but I do think it's the, it's the discipline. It's also the recognition of what you're sacrificing. So in the moment, you know, it feels good, uh, or maybe you don't want to do it, but you know that it's what you're going to sacrifice on the back end if you don't exactly on a, and on a good schedule. Yeah. And it, it adds up, right? So you might not mm-hmm. sacrifice a lot initially, and then you might sacrifice more and more because you're 
prioritizing something else. You're not taking care of yourself in a, in another way. Right. Right. Oh my God. Well, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit because we, we've kind of jumped right at the deep end about you as a leader and, and some of the practices that you have that have enabled you to kind of find your definition of balance. But I want to back up more so to, you know, starting out what's really cool and enviable about you is that marketing has really always been kind of your passion. It's what you studied. It's what you've built your career around. Curious though, when you started out, was the goal to become uh, like, did you always want to get into management? No, I didn't know. So I, I went to, yeah, I graduated high school, went to university, got my business degree with a concentration in marketing. So I was very clear from the, the start that this is what I wanted to do and was set on that path early. But I don't think you really understand when you're 18 years old, what management is or what executives do or what that means. I didn't anyways, I wasn't exposed to that. My, my mom is a social worker and my dad is a teacher. So business wasn't like the tech industry wasn't, I wasn't surrounded with that growing up. And in fact, my grandparents were firemen and social workers and like, (laughs) I didn't have business in, in our background so zero, yeah, just zero exposure, zero understanding. And when I wanted, to, when I told my mom and dad I wanted to be a marketer, I don't know that they even knew really what that meant. Never mind, like, oh, you should be, you know, an executive one day. I just wasn't wasn't on the path. But I'm ambitious, and I like challenges, and I like taking advantage of opportunities. That's something that I think I've always been motivated by. So. Again, I don't think I wanted to know, know necessarily know that I wanted to be in management. I knew that I wanted to be successful. And that successful evolved over time. You know, now my version of successful is very different. It's like, am I a good, great mom? Am I a great leader? Doesn't really matter what my title is, but I, I care about a great wife. Those are the things I care about. That's what makes me successful you know, when I was a marketing specialist, I think I I wanted to be successful at a senior marketing specialist. And then I wanted to be um, a marketing manager and I wanted to have more responsibility and I wanted to have that opportunity given to me. So I just pathed my way up. But for me, again, what was motivating was opportunity. Am I going to learn something new? Am I going to get something, you know, am I going to understand a problem like I've never understood? Am I going to be able to solve something? Am I going to be of value to the, to my boss? Is is my boss going to, you know, want to give me those opportunities? That's what motivated me to keep pushing. And, And in fact, that's what motivates me to stay with the companies that I'm in is that there's this opportunity. There's this problem that needs to be solved or this opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of. There's this need to think about another way of doing things because that's what gets me excited. Well, and I, I love that idea of looking at it as opportunities, less title centric, but more challenges, ways to like learn new information or take on new challenge. And so, you know, kind of organically that's going, you know, it sounds like that ended up because of the more responsibility yeah. titles. Let me ask you this, because you mentioned something about like, you mentioned the kind of questions like, is my boss going to want to, to give me this opportunity? So how did you put yourself in a position? Because again, you very successfully mm-hmm. moved up and done something that a lot of people and a lot of women aspire to do, but sometimes it's, it's very challenging. So what did you do to, you know, when there was an opportunity, give yourself the best shot at getting to take it? 
it was really important for me to be able to be somebody that could be relied on that does what they say that they do, they'll do. And people recognize that, right? I think I wanted to be that person that somebody said, I'm going to give this opportunity to Reagan because she's going to get it done. And the more opportunities that I was given and the more that I got it done, the more opportunities I would be given because I would be getting it done. And so I think that's, it's this trust building exercise a bit. You're not just asking for things you're, you're doing and you're delivering. And that's a powerful way of showing up, right? It's, you can trust me, you can rely on me and I'm going to make this easier for you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to this. And I'm going to tell you if I have challenges, I'm going to communicate to you if it, if things change, but again, all those are trust building and help your boss think of you when that next challenge or opportunity comes available. I mean, I can think about the people that I like to give opportunities to that I like to build and, and develop that I can rely on. And it's, it's that consistency. It's that willingness and the trust that I've built with them that helps that relationship, you know, and helps that like the helps, helps me think that they're the first person I'm going to think about when that, that next tough opportunity comes our way. Yeah. You've mentioned trust a couple of times and you've kind of talked, like kind of pointed out a few things so that your leaders could know that they could trust you. And you mentioned something that was really interesting, which is communicating if there were changes or challenges, mm. but would love to go deeper here. Because again, I think this is something that is really important there's the execution piece, there's the reliable piece, and then what you're getting at around communication. And so would love to maybe go in there a little bit more and have you share what you're talking about when you talk about like how you go about communicating with your boss yeah. um, to ensure that there is a high degree of trust between yeah. you. So communication is probably one of the most important business skills in my mind. You know, communication is important for a few reasons. Not everything is going to go the way that you expect it to go. And mm -hmm. I, I think we all have to, to realize this and acknowledge this, that, you know, the path is not straight. The path is not straight in many of the, whether it's the project you're taking on or your career that you have, um, the path is not straight. And communication allows the folks involved understand progress and understand roadblocks and unblock roadblocks and, you know, challenge maybe some thinking or like it, it just allows you to get better because you are clear on your intentions. You're clear on your challenges. You're clear on your opportunities. You're getting the support that you need. Your boss is feeling like they're in the loop and that they, they can continue to, you know, let you drive something forward unbox a lot of things. And I think one of the, the scarier traits that I see some folks have, or particularly early in their career, if they haven't been through difficult situations before is that I'm just going to try to solve this myself, or, you know, I don't want them to know that I'm struggling or, mm. you know, I don't want to communicate the status because I'm, I'm behind all of that erodes trust because chances are your boss is going to figure that out at some point, right? Like chances are your boss is going to figure out that you're behind. Chances are, you know, that challenge, you might not be able to solve yourself and then you have to go to them later and it's too far down the track to fix it. But if you say, look, 
if you're communicating saying, here's the challenges I'm facing, here's the timeline that I'm expecting, you know, here's what I want to achieve and where I need your help. All of those things are building that rapport. It's building that trust. It's building that, that your boss can feel like they can help you or they can coach you or they at very minimum know what's happening in the status and what they can expect at the end. So that's why I find that communication is so key. And chances are, if you're scared or if you're worried or you're nervous, going to be worse if you hold on to that information. Oh, I shudder thinking about it. And then I laugh a little bit because it's so real and that I know I've done this where you're like, I will figure it out. And sometimes sure you can, but most times to your point, you end up having to go back and get the help that you probably should have asked for early on. So it sounds like if somebody's listening and it's like your, your advice is really, if they find themselves in this situation where things have changed, uh, if things are not going according to plan, you're, you're struggling early and often of like communicating what the challenge is, communicating any sort of changes or impacts to the timeline, what you need help on and, or, you know, kind of recommendations of what, what you want uh, to do or what you propose to do. Is that, is does that sound like what, would be yeah, ideal absolutely. for somebody. Okay. And, and, and I think that you pointed out something key there, which is come with recommendations. Mm-hmm. This isn't, you know, when you're, when you're communicating, this isn't just you complaining or putting a bunch of challenges on the other person's plate. You know, you should be coming with, here's how I'm thinking about it. Here's where I think the solutions are. Here's what I think we should do next. That opens a dialogue. And again, creates that trust that that other person knows that you've you know, you might be facing something that you didn't expect, or you might be challenged in an area you didn't think you'd be challenged by, but that you're working through it and that you may be asking for guidance, or you may be just providing an FYI for that person to then, you know, have as information that they can process and and move forward with. Yeah. So Regan, let me ask you this, because I think that's really great advice. And to your point that I think communication seems to be that skill that somehow gets overlooked. Uh, when it, when you think about like, when you're going to grow your career, I mean, like it underpins everything you communicating about what you're looking for in your career, communicating about where your projects stand and how they're going and you know, communicating down and letting people know, I mean, it's just communication is like a kind of a cornerstone for everything. What advice might you have for somebody who finds himself in a situation where maybe it's the first time they're having to tell someone that they're not, they're not going to make the deliverable or they're behind, or perhaps a situation where maybe they haven't established trust yet with Mm -hmm. somebody that they're working for. And so it's a little bit more scary because you don't know what's going to happen. Do you have any sort of advice for somebody that finds himself in that situation? Yeah. And you'll find yourself in that situation a lot because you won't have trust with every person or stakeholder that you work with, that you have to communicate to. And I think it, it comes down to a few things for me. It's owning the situation, right? Like you're owning, you're owning the communication, you're owning the project that you're working through, you're owning that, the next steps. So you're thinking about how do I communicate what's going on and how do I communicate what my next steps are, how I'm thinking through this opportunity or this, this situation, how I intend to move forward and what information am I seeking from that person that potentially they can help me with. So I think it's really important to take ownership. If you're, if you're having to provide bad news, what is your solution? Do you have one? And then are you seeking any advice? And you'd be surprised. People want to help. 
you know, like most people don't want to get mad or reprimand. They want to help you solve this. They want to help you move forward. Good leaders will absolutely, or good colleagues will absolutely want to do that. So how do you enable them with the information so that you can, you can do that? Would it be safe to say, if you find yourself in a situation where you do those things, you own the situation, you Mm. come with solutions, you have specific asks and you're met with maybe hostility or, you know, backlash Mm. that perhaps that's an indicator of like, again, make note of that. um, And that perhaps like you may consider that this could be maybe not the best leader, or, you know, you you may want to take note of your environment and that perhaps that's, that's something to take into consideration of like, if you do these things and it still backfires, perhaps there's something bigger going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's things that you can, you can acknowledge and and look, you're going to have to, you're, you're going to work with people that don't necessarily handle all the situations that you, the way that you would expect them to, or want them to, or, or that will be trust building. And you just have to be your professional self, be who you want to be because you can't control how other people are and continue to hold the standards that you hold for yourself and move forward. Yeah. You know, Regan, for you, what sort of things do you do to continue, you know, developing either your, like developing yourself? Cause again, you've, you've been so successful, but you're at a position in your career as the head of marketing where there's not a lot of you, right? There's, there's not a lot of executives that are out there. And so finding community and support and places for you to grow and develop are, you know, a little bit more, more scarce. So what sort of things do you do, or what do you invest in to continue your, your development? So, I mean, I'm lucky to work with a lot of other great leaders and executives Mm -hmm. that I am constantly learning from. You know, I surround myself with peers within the company that I work for, that I respect highly, that have a lot of knowledge. I mean, having peers that you can, that you can learn from is is such a gift. Um, I ask a lot of questions, Mm. you know, I think that's really important is you, you won't know everything and you can't know everything. And, and, and asking questions is a really powerful learning tool. You know, some of my mentors and some of the people I respect a lot are are so comfortable asking questions, so comfortable learning about things that they don't know about and questioning, you know, challenging the way that we're thinking. I think that's, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a really powerful tool. Um, There's a lot of people that have a lot more information and, or more information about certain things than you do. Those are big ones for me. And then, you know, peers, CMOs and heads of marketing uh, in in other organizations are facing similar challenges that I might be facing. Um, so building those connections and again, you know, sharing sharing stories. So, you know, at Clio we have investors that are have a larger portfolio of companies that they are connecting us with, which I find also a very powerful tool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we often meet as marketing leaders on a on a monthly basis where we're you know sharing challenges or strategies or connecting on opportunities, and so really connecting into those and utilizing that has has been really valuable for me. Um, yeah. I listen to podcasts and write, you know and and read books. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I love. It's neat that you've got a. You're part of a portfolio where you can connect with other leaders in other companies and on a regular cadence too. I think that's mm-hmm. so great. You mentioned something that I'm just. I know we're kind of getting close to time, but you mm-hmm. mentioned mentors. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how have you gone about or approached finding your mentors? And, you know, like, can you maybe tell us a little bit about that for your career? Yeah. So I've had um, mentors for certain times and places and projects, and I've had mentors for, for more longer periods of time and that maybe have been with me for years and years. One of my, my marketing mentors is somebody that was my boss at Active for, I don't know, 15 years ago. <laughs> and she's somebody that, you know, I respected as, as my boss and she's somebody I respect as a marketer. And she's somebody now that I respect, you know, she's a, she's a consultant now. And I, and she's, she's out of the day-to-day of, of running a business and team. And, you know, I, I just kept in touch and, and asked questions and, and maintained that relationship. And I've, I found that very valuable. And then there's been mentors that I've had on certain projects or certain with certain types of of things like great people leaders don't necessarily have to have a marketing background. And so I I feel like I've found most of them through the companies that I've worked for. They may or may not have been there as long as I was. They may have may not been there. Like I've and I've tried, I've just kept in touch. I've been clear that, you know, our relationship adds a lot of value to me. And and I would, you know, I would love to stay in touch as we might part into different organizations. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, I've I've kind of heard this come up a couple of times where it sounds like something that we haven't really talked about explicitly, but that you do is uh, you invest time and in, in interactions outside of your org and and getting to know other other leaders throughout yeah. the company. And then in this case, you know, when somebody really kind of resonates with you, proactively reaching out, just saying, you know, we may no longer be coworkers, but I'd really love to continue Mm -hmm. learning and and interacting with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's important to, to, to really stay in touch with folks from other organizations because every organization is different Mm -hmm. and every situ like you're, you're never going to go into one organization with the same exact same, you know, makeup challenges, problems, opportunities as the last one you were in. And so there's different ways that you can handle complexity or that you can deal with situations and getting those different perspectives help you form your own. So when I, when I think about a mentor, it's not that they're, they're not telling me exactly what to do in every situation. It's input, it's advice that helps me form the way that I want to handle it. Because I think as a leader, you have to really think you have to, you have to be authentic to yourself. You have to be able to handle situations that are, you know, authentic to the way that you handle situations. And so if you're exactly copying or exactly doing what someone else has told you to do, it actually may not show up in the way that you want it to show up when you execute against it. And so bringing, you know, using it as information and, and, and adjusting it to your style or your, your environment or your situation, I think is really important. That's such a great call out. And I love that, you know, it's when you're seeking advice, it's that what you're trying to take away is like the, like almost the methodology or the concept behind what they're talking to you about. And then how do you apply that into your work environment as opposed to verbatim? And I just, that's such a great, such a great call out and how you interact with mentors and how you leverage those relationships. Mm -hmm. And, or, yeah, and oh yeah, go on ahead. the mentor thing, you just have to remember also one thing. And, and I see this as a little bit of sometimes a pitfall I've, in, in the way that some people approach mentors is that you have to control, like if you're asking for someone's time and you're, you're wa- working through a situation or you really want their advice, you have to own that mm-hmm. relationship. You have to 
I don't recommend kind of walking into a mentor relationship and saying, tell, tell me everything, you know, and essentially wasting their time. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. What do you want to know? It's, it's a really uncomfortable place for the mentor. They're not going to be able to provide you with the advice that you want. It's kind of feels like a waste of their time. So, you know, when you're engaging with your mentors, it's, it's like, this is what I'm trying to work out. And you've, I know you've dealt with this before being really deliberate with the conversation that you have. So you can, they'll want to have the conversation with you again, because they've been able to add value to that conversation or to that relationship. Oh my gosh. Again, such a great call out because that's so big of taking ownership of that dynamic. And I, I would even take it as far to say, and because I know I've experienced this where when you're thinking about your career and you're having a career conversation or just, you know, a one-on-one with your boss, like it, I would apply the same logic of take ownership mm-hmm. of it, come to the table mm-hmm. with specific things that you're thinking about. And you can still talk together if you're not a hundred percent clear, but it kind of almost goes back to that. Like when you're communicating a challenge, mm-hmm. same thing of like, here's the situation, here's what I'm thinking about. And here's what I need your help on. Like, I think that that, that framework yeah. can also apply to your mentor relationships, to career conversations, to one-on-one. So yeah. That's I a love great that you up. call that out. Yeah. Ownership is a, is a, is a powerful. Yes. Powerful yes. Tool. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to make yourself stand out too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, Reagan, I know we're, we're kind of winding down on time. So my favorite question to ask, and I always, <laughs> I always feel so silly asking this because I literally, we've mined nothing but gold throughout this whole time together. But if there's one thing that listeners are going to take away that you want to make sure that they have it either something that you've learned throughout your career that, you know, if you could go back and tell yourself early on, this is the thing or a really great piece of advice that has served you really well in your career. Just something that no matter what you want listeners mm-hmm. to take away from this conversation. Mm-hmm. There's a few things, but I, I think if there was one thing I would say, do things that make you scared, do things that feel mm-hmm. scary because that means you're stretching yourself. That means you're doing something that's outside of your comfort zone. That means you might be taking on an opportunity that is new to you where you'll learn and that you'll develop. And that's such an amazing learning opportunity. That's a development opportunity. That's going to take you to that next step. If you want to get to that next step. Yeah. I like that. And I think you've given us so many other great things that are really supporting of if you push yourself and you stretch yourself like that, what you can do to ensure that you can be successful and how mm-hmm. you can let others help you as you go outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But I, I think yeah. that's great advice. And I agree. If you're not a little bit scared about what you're doing, then you're not pushing hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, well, Reagan, it's just been such a treat to have this time with you. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights and sharing what has allowed you to be so successful in your career. I I know I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a ton and I know everyone listening, it feels the same way. So thank you so much for the gift of your time and your story. Well, thank you, Margaret. This was so much fun and it was great getting to chat with you again. And, you know, I, I just want to reflect on like six years ago, I mean, you had an important impact in my career. And as a mentor, as a sales leader, I, it's cool that we were able to reconnect and I appreciate, I appreciate our relationship. No, thank you. Well, thank you for being on Rising Tide. You know, I always am so excited when I get to talk to someone who has had a great 
experience in the corporate world. It serves as such a powerful reminder for us that there are great companies out there that are supportive of women. There are great leaders that are advocates for women. And in hearing Reagan's story, I hope that this serves as a great reminder that if you ever find yourself in a situation that doesn't feel or seem like this, know that there is something better out there for you. If you enjoyed this episode, would love for you to just take a moment and give us a quick review if you just want to hit some stars or if you're feeling compelled, would love if you wrote us a review. That would mean the world. So glad to have you here and part of this community. I hope it's a great week. See you next time.